Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. If this is your first time joining us, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that online form for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. We're beginning a teaching series today that I think is going to really challenge you and help you grow in your walk in faith with Christ. So over the course of the summer, we're going to be working our way through the book of Romans. And I'm going to be really upfront with you. We're not going to finish it this summer, <laughs> okay? Uh, this is something we're going to work through next year as well. We're going to take a break from Romans when the fall hits and then pick it back up sometime uh, in, in 2024. This letter written by Paul, though, is one of the most complex and yet theologically rich texts in all of Scripture. So before I jump into why he writes this letter to begin with, let me fill you in on who Paul is. Because some of you watching or listening right now, you may be kind of familiar with Paul or you may not even know who he is at all. So first, you should know that Paul has two names. The other name is his Jewish name is Saul. He was born to a Hellenistic Jewish family in Syria. You say, wait a minute, like what the heck is that? There were two types of Jewish people in the first century. There were those who were born in and lived in Judea, and they held to the traditional Jewish customs in a really strict manner called Hebraic Jews. Peter would have been someone like this. Then there were Jews who lived outside of Judea, who spoke Greek and grew up in the Greco-Roman culture. Uh, they may have been strict followers of Judaism, like, like Saul, but they knew how to interact with and work with the non-Jewish or the, the, the Gentile world around them, they were actually pretty comfortable in that culture. And so Saul is a part of the most strict and conservative branch of Judaism, meaning he was a Pharisee. These are the exact same guys who were the driving force behind Jesus' opposition and led to his crucifixion. He studied under a rabbi named Gamaliel, who was widely regarded as the greatest Jewish mind of that century. So we could say that Saul's education was equivalent to, you know, Harvard or Oxford. It was really high up there. It was very prestigious. He lives in the same time frame as most of the apostles. In fact, in fact, some scholars think that Saul may have even witnessed Jesus teach in Jerusalem. Uh, since he was a Pharisee, he, he was all for the persecution of Christians. He hunted them down. He imprisoned them. Uh, he's actually on his way to Damascus to do just that when Jesus appears to him and just absolutely wrecks his life. And you can read about that encounter uh, in detail in Acts chapter 9. So once Saul begins to conduct his missionary journeys and minister to the Gentiles, a non-Jewish world, he begins to use his Roman name of Paul. Now, there's probably a couple of reasons for this. I think one, it just makes sense given the nature of his assignment. While he wants to win Jews for Christ too, he's focused primarily on reaching those who are not Jewish. So the name Paul is much more familiar, probably helps open more doors for him with the Gentile world around him than you know Saul would. Uh, two, Saul was the name of Israel's first king. It's a really good, strong Jewish name. It evoked all kinds of great images of national and ethnic pride. 
Paul on the hand, um, it, it, it means small or humble. And given the magnitude of change and humility that Christ brings to Paul's life, it makes sense um, that Paul would be what he would want to go by. So Jesus appoints him as an apostle, and I'll get into what that means in a little bit as we dive into the text. But he's about 60 years old when he writes this letter to the Christians in, in Rome from Corinth, which is a city in Greece. Nero is the emperor at the time, and the first battles of a long and devastating war between Judea and Rome begin to take Take place. When this war is over, by the way, in AD 70, Jerusalem and the temple will be completely destroyed. Death and carnage is going to result on a scale uh, that they hadn't seen before. And to this day, there's no temple still, right? There's probably two main reasons um, why Paul writes this letter. The first has to do with his desire to get to Spain. That's a region which at the time was unreached for Christ. And so Paul's always wanting to plant churches in places nobody else had been to. Now, to be honest, he hadn't been to Rome yet either at this point, but he knows um, that's a stop he's going to have to make on his way to Spain if that's where he wants to go. The second reason that he writes this letter is he wants to equip the Roman believers who are living in this wild, unstable, lost world. Which, by the way, like we're still in a wild, unstable, lost world. You know, like humanity hasn't changed much during our existence, despite all the advances we've made. And Paul wants to give them the theology they need to actively live out their faith in an environment where it's not only you know not easy to do that; it's actually illegal. Romans thought that Christians were atheists, not because they, they didn't believe in God, but because they only believed in in, in one God. <laughs> Christianity was viewed as a cult. And so believers were crucified and thrown to the gladiator arenas and fed to lions and imprisoned all during this time throughout the Roman Empire. Now that you have an idea of who Paul is and, and why he writes this letter to begin with, Let's get started with the text itself. So most people will skip through the opening remarks of the letters that Paul writes, but Romans 1 is kind of special because the first few verses are full of some great gifts that God, God wants to give to you today. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Let's stop for a little bit here. Right away. Uh, in just these first two verses, Paul wants his readers to know God's story for us. Now, I know it doesn't look like there's much of a story in the first couple of verses. So what do we mean by God's story? So by that, I mean the gospel. And Paul is one of the people that God has entrusted to preach this gospel. In fact, he gives his title, an apostle. Why does Paul include this title? Well, we look at titles today and we kind of shrug our shoulders, right? We don't have respect for positions and titles that I think we should have because the pendulum has just swung too far. I think it's important that Paul lets his readers know that he's an apostle. Now why? Because an apostle is commissioned by Christ. Apostles have the spiritual authority to raise up leaders, to plant churches, to write scripture as inspired by the Holy Spirit, among other privileges. Not just anybody could be an apostle, by the way. Um, and it's really important, I think, to recognize that. Now, I, you know, I don't insist people call me pastor. <laughs> All right. A lot of folks just call me Andrew. But I will tell you, to be a pastor does mean something. It means you've been called by God. 
you've gotten the right training to teach the scriptures properly. You can do a lot of damage if you don't. It means you've, you know, have the vision for your church, that God's appointed you to lead a group of people uh, or a local church body. It's an honorable position, but it comes with great responsibility, great sacrifice, and intense judgment by God himself. And I, and I think my generation would do really well to honor those in positions of authority. I think we've gone too far the other way, and we really need to bring it back towards the center. You know, don't allow positions and authority to abuse power, you know, but certainly bring the respect and honor they deserve. I think that's for every position and every title in our society, not just in a ministry role. So because Paul's an apostle, he's been entrusted to preach the gospel, which is God's salvation story for us. It began in Genesis 3 when the Lord looks at the enemy and he alludes to the work of Christ when he says, he'll strike your head. That's the first thing God tells Satan. He's going to strike your head. He's going to crush you, man. You know, God is making it clear from the onset. You're going down, buddy. You're going to be defeated. And it only starts in Genesis 3. It actually continues throughout the Old Testament. So in Genesis, we first learned that Christ would defeat the enemy. But in Numbers, we learn about his human lineage. In Deuteronomy, we learn that he's a prophet. In the Psalms, we read about his first coming and how he would die and more about his divinity and divine power. In Micah, we learned that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah says that God's going to be with us and bring salvation and healing through Christ. Jeremiah tells us that we would know God personally and relationally because of the work that Jesus would do. And there are so many other prophetic writings that we just came name and get into here today that it all came together to tell the story of Jesus's arrival and who he is and what he would do. In fact, if you were to calculate the probability of Christ fulfilling all 300 plus Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, you'd come up with a one to the 10, I'm sorry, one in 10 to the 17th power chance that he would fulfill it. In other words, the odds are one in one quintillion that one man could fulfill all of them and yet he did. So Paul was saying, and this is our story now, and it's a story which is for all people and for all nations. It's not for the select few. It's for the many. And at the center of God's story of salvation is Jesus. But make no mistake, the focus of the story is us. You and I were on God's mind when he spoke to the devil in Genesis 3. We were on his mind when the prophets wrote about the coming of Christ. We were on his mind when the angels announced that Christ was coming to, to the shepherds. We were on his mind when he shouted from the cross, it is finished. Jesus is at the center of the gospel story, but the focus is on Christ fulfilling his role to save you and bring you closer to God. And because you're the focus, God is inviting all of humanity to join in the story. Paul tells his Romans readers, and he tells us today too, hey, you're in. God wants you to be a part of the story too. Can I just ask you a question today? When was the last time you thought of yourself as being part of the great story of salvation? This is why we do ministry. It's why we participate in missions. It's why we reach people for Jesus in our circles, because God isn't done writing this story yet. So Paul continues in verse number three. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born to King David's family line. He has shown himself to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
God's story has Jesus at the center. Remember that, okay? So what Paul does here, without explicitly saying it, is he introduces the idea of Jesus being both fully God and fully man right from the onset. He's not just a descendant of Judah's royal line. That's why the Romans crucified Christ, by the way. Rome didn't care that Jesus claimed to be God like the Jewish leaders cared. They cared about his claim to be king. Your sentence was nailed to the top of the cross when you were crucified. That's how we know there were thieves on either side of Jesus. So what was Jesus' sentence? What read Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. What did the Jews shout to Pilate? We have no king but Caesar. Jesus was the rightful heir to the earthly throne in David's line. But he was also divine. And we see that with his resurrection. And we see it with his miracles and his teachings. The Romans thought man could become divine. That's what Caesar was. Caesar was a man who later reached divinity and was worshipped like a god. But this King Jesus is always fully God, who became man without giving up his divine qualities, as Paul's later going to write in Philippians. And he's now both man and God. Look at verse number 5. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, so that they will believe and obey Him, bringing glory to His name. And you are included among those Gentiles who've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be His own holy people. Paul wants his readers to know about God's story for us. And as we see in the first part of, of, of verse number 7 here, he wants us to know God's calling for us. We're called to obey Christ in faith, which means every single one of us has a calling from God. I heard not long ago a, a great quote that's just repped me ever since. As Christians, you can live saved or called, but there's a difference. You can live saved, meaning you can stop at salvation. You can say that prayer. You can, you, you, can, you can pray and read scripture and grow in your faith and do all the spiritual things you're supposed to do and play your life safe. You can live the saved life and do the bare minimum where you can take it to the next level and live called. He said, Pastor, I, I, just, I, I, don't, I don't really get it. Well, when I was a kid, my dad would drill into me the importance of living for more. Like, you don't do the minimum. You don't, you, you don't just get by. You don't settle. You do those things, and, and, and you can live a fine life, of course, but the reality is you're not going to live a fulfilled life. Because to live a, a fulfilled life, you have to go above the minimum. You can't settle. You have to live for more. God wants you to live for more. His purpose for your life is for more. Your calling is to live out your faith and obedience, to take what God gives you and step out in faith and watch Him use your obedience in a profound way. You aren't meant to live the saved life hanging by a thread, having punched your ticket to heaven in this call and it quits. I didn't marry my wife to have just a few kids and, a, and like a knockout roommate, okay? Like I, I married her because I wanted to do life with her, to be one with somebody and live a fulfilled life. Paul never played it safe. You read about his journeys in Acts, man. Paul lived for more. He lived for God's calling for him. It led him through some rough patches, prison, shipwrecks, beating so bad he was left for dead. But because he lived out his calling in faithful obedience, he planted countless churches. He raised up leaders like Titus and Timothy. He plowed the ground that nobody had set foot on for Christ. And thousands of years later, we are still talking about that man. You are called to live for so much more. 
But some of you, man, you've relegated your salvation experience that's checking that box for Jesus because you want the life in heaven, but just not the one here on earth. I just want to get through this life. I've got news for you. God has purpose for you here. He has more for you here before you get there. Who's this gospel for? Paul says it's for everybody. It's for all the nations, all the people. God's calling every person to be a follower of Christ. He's calling the neighbor you don't like, the boss you love, the atheist, the trans person, the Muslim, the rich, the poor. He's calling everybody to follow after him. You've been called to give your life and everything in it to Christ. You belong to him. You are, as we're going to learn later in Romans, adopted sons and daughters in God's family with all the rights and the privileges which come with it. And you're to live your life as if you belong to Jesus. You're not to live perfectly because the reality is that's, that's just impossible. But if you are to live, you're, you're to live as if you belong to the one who knows you and loves you deeply. Paul, as you're going to learn here in his writings, he never teaches about faith without, without obedience. The two go hands in hand. So let's wrap up with the last part of verse 7 here. Last part of verse 7 May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Grace and peace. God has a story for us. He has a calling for us. And God has a gift for us. Now, why does Paul end his first section of Romans with kind of that churchy vibe? You know, grace and peace. I always picture someone super priestly and religious and super spiritual. Grace and peace. (laughs) That kind of thing, you know. I want to work backwards for a second. And let's start with peace. Peace comes from God. It's a great gift the Lord gives us. You ever think God, you know, gets anxious? Does he look down from heaven? Oh man, I wonder what's going to happen when that party gets in power. What about the economy? What, what will happen if the culture keeps going that way? What about this guy here and that guy there? And oh my gosh, like what do we do? Like, you know, God, God's at total peace. Jesus says in Matthew 6 that people who worry about everything, well, they're actually not his followers. In Romans, or I'm sorry, in Philippians 4, Paul goes on to talk about how God's peace is powerful. And it goes beyond our understanding. As followers of Christ, we're not perfect. You might give off the vibe that we have it all together, but really it's a pretty low bar to set in our world today. Like if you're not running around and the sky is falling, you look stable, <laughs> right? You know, why is that? Because we have God's peace. And each time someone notices you're at peace and they ask about why you seem to have it all together, boy, you can take that as an opportunity right there to share Christ with them. Because the truth is you're at peace, not on your own accord, but because of God's gift to you. And Paul says we have something else from God too, though. We have grace. Now I'm going to challenge your view on grace here because I think we've misinterpreted what grace actually is. And when I say we, like I throw myself into that mix too, okay? So I've done the same thing. But I think we've allowed grace to become God's like spiritual eraser. Like we sin, we have a bad past, and we'll say things like, hey, God's grace covers us. But really, we, I think we've mixed up grace and mercy. Mercy is God choosing not to punish you when you blow it. 
Right? Mercy is how God deals with you on the back end of your failures. The kindness of God leads you to make a change in your life to repent. But the mercy of God is Him not giving you what you deserve. So if, like, if your kid punches his sister in the stomach, are you going to punch your kid back? No. Like You, you, sh you show mercy. Now you're going to discipline him in a whole different way, but you're not going to give him what he truly deserves back, right? That's showing mercy. Grace, however, deals with the front end of our failures. This is God giving us the ability to, to not fail to begin with. Listen to what he says, uh, what, what, what Titus says about grace. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all the people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. God's grace appeared in the person of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. It brings salvation to everyone, not just some people, but for all people. It trains and teaches and shapes us to renounce an ungodly lifestyle with worldly passions. See, God's grace works with you from the start to train you not to sin, to really avoid sin. It trains you to be self-controlled and live godly lives of Christ at the center. It's not about living for God in eternity, Grace is equipping you to live for God now so you can walk in the power of God to live for God as followers of Christ. And it's only possible because of God's gift of grace that's at work in your life. The gift of grace and peace then empowers you to live fully for Jesus. Now, listen very carefully. This is really important. Don't try to live the Christian life apart from God's grace and peace. If you do, that's called religion. And it's completely and utterly dead. But when God's grace and peace is rooted within you, you become alive. See, how can you say no to temptations, right? How, 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 how can you do that? The answer is not found in your power. It's found in God's grace at work within you. I was tempted to jump to, to, to verse 8, like right off the bat today. Start the series there. But that's where all the good stuff kind of begins. Most people when teaching Romans will do that, but I'm, I'm so glad I got a check in my spirit to start from the beginning because I, I think we have to understand God's story for us first. God told the enemy he would be defeated in Genesis 3 because God deeply loves and cares for you. Jesus hung on the cross because he loves and cares for you. God's story has you at its focus and includes you if you'll simply accept his invitation to join him. But you need to know today that God is also calling you to live for more. Don't, don't live your life to, to be saved and just to get by. Live a fulfilled life. Live the call to life. And finally, you need to know that God has a gift for you which empowers you to live for Him. You know the thing about gifts is you can't really begin to appreciate them and value them until you open it. Sometimes we'll get a gift and we'll say things like, well, you know, I appreciate that so much. But it's just too much. I can't accept it. Like, thanks, but no thanks, you know? And, and I think some of us, like, we treat God that way. Whether it's salvation or the Holy Spirit or grace and peace, we, we sometimes treat God with these gifts if we're saying, thanks, God, but I just can't. I, I, I didn't grow up that way. I, I don't know if I can believe that. I just, I, I, just, I just don't think so. And my encouragement to you today is to accept the gifts that God offers you. The gifts we receive have real value. We put them on and we accept them and use them. And some of you today, man, like you, just, you need to accept the gift of a new life in Christ. 
Others of you need to accept the gift of the call to life that God has for you, man. Start taking your game to the next level and live fulfilled. Maybe you need to accept the gift of God's grace and peace or even the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Whatever it may be, don't let today go by without tapping into and receiving the gifts that God has for you. Here's what I want to do for you real quick today as we wrap everything up. I want to pray for you, first of all, for those of you who would say, Pastor, we're talking about gifts, and I, I can say that I have not received this gift of a new life in Christ. We're going to pray for you first. But I'm going to do is model a prayer for you. I just want you to pray it along with me in your own words. But then I want to pray for the rest of us who are believers out there that we will accept and walk in the gifts that God has and live a fulfilled life life here today. So Father, I thank you for those who are watching and listening today. Maybe there are folks out there who say, Pastor, I just I can't say that I know Christ. I can't say I have that gift of salvation. But today I want to I, I want to make that change. And so Lord, for them, I, I just pray you to open up their hearts that God, they would commit to following you. If that's you, I would say this. Father, forgive me for my sin. God, I'm so sorry for the wrong that I've done. Uh, I, I know that I've done things that violate your standards that go against who you are. And, and, and and I realize that these, these wrongs, God, uh, have to be dealt with. And I'm saying, Lord, forgive me. Jesus paid it all. I mean, I believe that he paid for my sin. I believe that he, he covered my sin. And I'm asking today that, God, you will forgive me for these wrongs. Forgive me for the sin that I've committed. Would you be my Savior today, Jesus, and save me from my sins? And from this day forward, I'm going to commit myself to following after you. I've lived my own way. I've done my own thing. I know it doesn't work out because I've experienced it. And I'm saying today forward, I'm, I'm, I'm going to serve you and follow you. I, I'm going to commit myself to obeying you. Uh, you. Lord, you guide me and you direct me and you lead me. Be Lord of my life. Be my Savior and be my Lord today. Lord, uh, Father, for those who are already believers and there are gifts they have not received yet, God, I pray for the gift of grace and peace. Lord, I pray for the, the, for the gift of grace and peace in a world that's just upside down and crazy and unstable. And whew, We need some peace. Help us not to be anxious and to worry. Help us, God, to remember you're in complete and total control. Remind us, Lord, that you've given us the gift of grace to help us Resist temptation and resist sin. May that grace be at work in our lives every time temptation lurks around a corner. Father, I pray that those who need to re receive the gift of a call to life do so. Maybe they're just kind of walking through the motions, kind of just playing it safe. Lord, stir their hearts to live the call to life, to live a call to life to do great things for you, to take those risks, to move out and live for you like Paul did, man, in a fulfilled way that makes a difference for your kingdom. Maybe they have to have the gift of the Holy Spirit. They haven't received that gift of the Spirit and the gifts the Holy Spirit brings. Lord, I pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit today. I pray, Lord, they receive the gifts that the Spirit brings to equip us not to better ourselves, but to reach the world for you, to reach people around us for Christ. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for his letter to the Romans that, that you have spoken through and used today to touch so many hearts and lives. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and what you're going to do within us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.
Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.